You're listening to Inspirational Decency, episode B12, 85th chance for a slow dance. Oh, kids. Oh, children of all shapes, sizes, temperaments, and bone densities. This week's show will send a chill through your tiny frames, as if God's own file clerk lightly blew an insincere kiss down the curve of your spine after a long day of alphabetizing tax files. There are many kinds of horror. Psychological horror. Fantasy horror. The kind of horror where all of the characters talk about cream puffs and cover each other in buttery leaves. I think that one's called Gluck Horror. In any case, to this list of distinct brands of horror, tonight's show adds an entirely new strain. You've heard of the Wolfman, the Mummy, the Vampire. All of them, without family, without friends, without lovers. But never before have you encountered the most hideous monster of them all, your mom's boyfriend, that repulsive beast who moves into your two-bedroom apartment and tries to force small talk about college football. Recoil in terror as he assures you that he can never take the place of your dad, a place kicker for the Ottawa Rough Riders, who sends you a picture of a sheepdog wearing a gun holster every Valentine's Day with a note reading, Sorry that I'm going to forget your birthday next month. Cringe as he tries to tell you that he wants to marry your mother as he drives you home from a soccer game where your coach yelled at you for crying after letting in the game-losing goal. Those New York Jets slippers he wears around the house while scratching an area that he refers to as the Valley of the Dolls now threaten to encroach upon the sanctity of your very soul. There is hope, however. Yes, there is a way of repelling this creature from your heart and home. The answer you seek, friend, is mockery. Persistent, relentless mockery. Ridicule this gargoyle for any reason you can find. Belittle the fact that his AA sponsor is being sued for slander by his ex-wife for claiming to be the father of her child. Chide him cruelly for trying to find work as a mascot for cult deprogrammers. Boo loudly and often at his support group meetings for men who excrete a substance known as abdominal syrup. Surely, after such an intense barrage of scorn, your mother's affection for this hateful creature will cease altogether, and you and she can return to the mother and son bonding activities you previously enjoyed, including fruit masking, vehicular homicide, and scissors. There are many other benefits to chasing away this fiend. Your voice will be colder. Your monkey will finally begin to sweat again. You will receive large cash rewards from the People's Republic of China and the Dolphin's Republic of Eritrea. And who knows what kind of attention you'll get from ladies and women, career gals, cheerleaders, eight-year-old girls pretending to be bossy housewives. All will develop the hugest of crushes on you. Just imagine the juices they will bring to you at semi-regular intervals. Truly, you will live the life of a king, or at least a friendly peasant who shoots the king out of a sense of adventure. In tonight's episode, then, we will explore the full depravity of the father-in-law or mom's boyfriend, or uncle daddy. We will explore those areas in which he dwells, including such restaurants as the Cheesecake Factory and the Blueberry Danish Methadone Clinic and Saltwater Taffy Wholesaler. We will shoot tranquilizer darts at him if he tries to discipline you for whatever it was you left in his hairdresser's barbicide tank. And most importantly, your mother can never make you buy him a present for his birthday, no matter how many dumb learning disabilities he helps you overcome. Just remember, he is more afraid of you than you are of him. Keep it that way. Mm. 
another edition of Half-Remembered Theater. In this installment, a man partially remembers Monty Python's dead parrot sketch. So it's like this guy, he, he walks into a pet shop, and uh, he tells the guy behind the counter that he has uh, a dead bird, like a dead parrot. And uh, the guy's like, no, that, guy, that parrot's not dead. And the guy's like, no, no, it's dead. Like, it's not moving, and it's not, like, talking or anything. And the guy behind the counter just, uh, like, won't uh, accept it. Like, he keeps trying to tell him that it's uh, alive. Um, I think because he sold it to him when it was dead, and now he's, like, trying to uh, cover up his tracks because he doesn't want people to know that his shop accidentally... I think it's accidentally. It's probably accidentally, like, sells dead parrots. So he's trying to tell this guy that... um, He's trying to tell this guy that his parrot is alive and he's pretending it's talking. The guy's like, no, you must think I'm really dumb. This is, uh, parrot is really dead. And, uh, so it goes on like that for a while. And I, um, I think ultimately he, I guess he just gets a new parrot. Um, yeah. I I don't remember how that one ends. Um, but it was, it's pretty funny. Welcome back to the Canuck Radio Network. To those of you who are just tuning in, we are in overtime in this battle between the Vancouver Canucks and the San Jose Sharks. Moments ago, Sharks forward Patrick Marlowe appeared to end the game with a goal two minutes into OT. However, the puck did go in off his skate, so officials in Toronto are now reviewing the goal to determine whether or not there was a distinct kicking motion. If there was, the game will continue, if not, the Sharks will get the win and that extra point in the standings. It's been a really exciting game so far, Steve. So much skating and shooting has gone on here, and I think I noticed a couple of the players shouting at each other like they were really mad. One of them seemed to say the F word and the B word. But you know, regardless of the outcome of this game, here are some things to take away from this. These players are paid to play this game, some of them are married, and some of them might be wearing propeller-style beanies under their helmets. We just have no way of knowing for sure. Uh, typically probing analysis, man. In any case, the fans here in GM Place are getting increasingly anxious with each passing second. This is a very important game for the Canucks. The players here are really getting restless too, Steve. You can just imagine the stress of the situation causing the propellers on top of their beanies to spin wildly. Please stop talking about the beanies, Matt. Oh, referee Darren Dreger just ended his discussion with the officials in Toronto. It looks like he's about to announce his ruling. Let's hear it. Upon further review... Of the last five years, I have determined that they have been the happiest of my life. Hmm. This is unexpected. His announcement so far kind of has the tone of a Billy Crystal romantic comedy, which is a refreshing change of pace. This is exactly what the game needs more of, Steve. Leslie, ever since I met you, I've been so in love, not only with you, but with life itself. The path I was on before meeting you was a dark and lonely one, unlit by passion or inspiration. But I am on a different road now, and it is one I can only imagine traveling with you for the rest of our lives. Oh no. This is poorly timed at best. Referee Darren Dreger appears to be proposing to his longtime girlfriend. 
who, it should be noted, has run down to the ice from her seat in the stands, and who is gazing at him and crying, in a way that reminds me of a young Guy Lafleur. A very confusing statement, Matt. Anyway, referee Dreger has now produced a box from his pocket, which presumably houses an engagement ring of some kind. Leslie, upon reviewing my mental replay of the last five years, I have determined that there is, in fact, a distinct loving motion. And so, will you marry me and make me the victor in the overtime of life? Aww, I am dying here. Can you even believe this, Steve? This is so sweet. I suppose it is, in a way, Matt. Although the sweetness of this moment is strongly undercut by the sheer number of fans in this building who are raining verbal abuse upon referee Dreger. I really wish he'd chosen a different moment to do this. Well, Steve, as someone who loves Hollywood romance but has never really been sold on the whole hockey thing, this is officially the greatest game of Hockney I've ever seen. Did you say Hockney? Whatever. Well, it appears that Leslie has accepted his proposal and the two are now kissing and embracing each other. Meanwhile, I should point out that no ruling has been made on Marlowe's goal and fans here are beginning to throw things onto the ice. Tiny novelty hockey sticks, copies of Rick Springfield's autobiography, piles of jerk chicken for some reason. One person actually threw a stand-up bass. You know, Steve, that's the kind of thing that says more about the person who threw it than the situation itself. Uh, for once I agree, Matt. Meanwhile, referee Dreger and his now fiancé appear to be leaving the arena, with referee Dreger carrying his bride-to-be, like Richard Gere carrying Deborah Winger in an officer and a gentleman. Which reminds me, Steve... Have I told you about my idea for Winger on Ice? It's Deborah Winger movies reenacted on skates. Imagine Kurt Browning playing the mechanical bull from Urban Cowboy. What charisma. What sass. Uh, you've mentioned this multiple times on air, Matt, and this is the first time it's ever been relevant. Anyway, complete chaos has erupted here at GM Place. The atmosphere is very much like a bloody coup of some kind in a third world country. Gorillas now roam the stands, kidnapping whoever appears to be a supporter of what is now being referred to as the Dreger regime. Meanwhile, a working government has been erected, although many consider it to be a puppet government beholden to the United States. In any case, I guess this is as good a time as any to sign off on behalf of the Canuck Radio Network. Oh, look! The choppers have arrived! Pick me! Steve is an insurrectionist! Oh, come on, Matt! Another edition of Half-Remembered Theater. In this installment, a man half-remembers Abbott and Costello's Who's on First sketch. So you've got these two guys, uh, played obviously by Abbott and Costello, and uh, so they're talking about baseball, and the one guy uh, says to his friend, I forget, Costello was the fatter one, and Abbott was the thinner one. So I think it was Costello who says, baseball players have really funny names these days um i don't uh i don't know why it comes up he just kind of brings it up uh i guess he'd been thinking about it for a while like he'd been reading the newspaper and uh was just looking at box scores of baseball games it was just like wow this is uh really just a cornucopia of like weird names i have to tell my friend about this they don't really give you the backstory anyway uh so he's telling his friend baseball players these days have really weird names that sound weird and funny 
And so, and then they go uh, like through all the positions on the baseball team. And so, like on first, uh, it's a guy named Hu. Uh, it's like a, a guy from China, I guess. And uh, but of course, it's spelled H U. But uh, you know, he thinks it's Hu as in W H O. And so he says, "Who's on first? And uh, his friend Abbott thinks he's asking him who's on first, which is really confusing to him because I mean, it wasn't his idea to talk about this. Like, you know, he's the one who's telling him these funny names, and now he's asking him questions about who's on the team. So he's, you know, you can imagine, like, put yourself in that position. He's pretty confused. Um, and so, yeah, and so they just keep going like that. And I think one of the guys' guys' names was, like, Watt, as in W-A-T-T. But, uh, of course, that came out as what. And then um, and then there's a guy named Phil, I don't know. I don't know what, uh, oh, I just said his name, kind of. So, yeah, Phil, I don't know. And I don't, I'm not sure what... Uh, nationality he would be or what his background would be with a name like i don't know maybe polish i don't know I, i'm not sure but in any case uh yeah so it just kind of goes on like that and uh finally at the end i guess they just uh uh get uh decide to stop talking about it um i think yeah i think it's just like castell gets really mad and um just like throws down his chicken sandwich and just says forget it this is ridiculous Ladies and gentlemen, that is the end of another spine-tingling, bone-jingling, lip-wrangling episode of Inspirational Decency. I have been your host, you have been your listener, and before I go, I'm going to leave you with the chronicle of a strange thing that happened to me earlier this week. I am a patron, as any good citizen is, of uh, one's local public library, and would have been on a Sunday, last Sunday, I suppose, making my weekly visit, and uh, who should I see standing outside, right about four feet in front of the entrance, but Mr. Andrew Dice Clay. You, of course, will know him as uh, Ford Fairlane in the criminally rated film, The Adventures of Ford Fairlane. And uh, he's played Shakespeare. He's played Shakespeare. He's uh, not performed Shakespeare, but he's played him. Um, Often does an impersonation of him at parties where it's like, what if Shakespeare hated broads? You know, you get it. You get the gist of it. And in any case... He was standing, as I said, about four feet from the entrance to the public library, punching people with uh, a large spatula as they exited, and shouting, Hey, books, I mean, what? Come on. And uh, I asked him what he was doing, and he turned to me and said, And I'll never forget this. For as long as I live, breathe, and expostulates. He said to me, Hey, what, uh, what, no way. My personation needs work. I mean, it's great, but it could be even better. But in any case, uh, I was quite alarmed by the developments that were unfolding in front of me at my local library, book, my local book repository, and, uh, bonnery. So I went inside, 
and uh, I rushed to a librarian at one of the desks, and I told them, you're not going to believe this. I hope you're strapped in to that rolling office chair with industrial strength uh, wire of some kind. Because shock comedian Andrew Dice Clay, popular for a couple of years in the early 90s, is standing outside this very library, punching people as they exit with their books. She looked me right in the face. I will never forget what she said to me. She said, What? Come on! You gotta be crazy! Uh, I'm not making this up. Why would I? To make up such a tale would illustrate a an absolute poverty of imagination on my part. I mean, if I was going to make this up, wouldn't I have had... First of all, wouldn't, have I, wouldn't I have uh, said someone more interesting than Andrew Dice Clay? Think about that. Also, I would have had him say something a lot more interesting than what I uh, quoted him as saying. The, the same with the librarian. Um, so basically what I'm saying is that, that that story was boring enough that uh, it must have been true. Because real life is an endless, uh, relentless series of face-peelingly dreary and banal events, punctuated only occasionally by someone kissing a hedgehog. I would like to leave you with that image, and of course I would also like to leave you with the following shout-out. Outing of shout to Stephen Guy and Matthew Scribner for their help with this week's episode. Gentlemen, your gift certificate for two free cheek squeezes from this guy right here are in the post or in the mail, as they say in Canada. Good night, everyone. I hope you sleep well and that your candy coated pillowcases. Do not suffocate you as you doze.